It's easy for elite athletes to fall into the trap of attaching their self-worth to their performance and continually seeking affirmation from people. Former pro footballer Jonathan Armagam experienced this entrapment in his career and chose the path of alcohol and substance abuse when the drug of public affirmation ran out. In this podcast, Bruce at a previous conference speaks to him about the turning point in his life and career when he received Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, the source of his true identity and fulfillment. It's AJ here from Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. Catch us on all your socials and podcast apps and give us a punt. Search for the Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. The Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. Can we just explain something straight away so there's no confusion here? Yes, sir. Okay? Um, Because people might be looking at our outfits. I need to explain that you are the player and I'm the pastor. Okay? You didn't get the memo, did you? I think they know that because you look about 20 years older than me, so... Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, the comedian's in the other room, you know that? So, so I think one of the reasons you gave to me for coming dressed like a pastor was uh, the fact that you, uh, you've actually now retired at the grand old age of 35. So I'm really cross you said I was 20 years older than you now. Um, and, uh, and you've had, what, 15 seasons uh, as a professional in the South African game. Uh, and I'm sure there's been lows along the way, but there's also been lots of highs. As you look back over your career, what have been some of the, the high points for you? So some of the high points for me was at the age of 23, signing my first professional contract. And that was a really good season for me because it ended up teams, um, the top teams in South Africa after that season wanted my signature like sundowns and Kaiser Chiefs and there was a possible call up to the Bofana squad and then at 27 I was playing in the second tier of South African football and I was given another chance to play in the PSL for another sorry I got another chance to play in the PSL that was one of the highlights and in that year it was 2010 I scored a goal against Kaiser Chiefs that was nominated Okay, it was almost nominated for goal of the season. <laughs> Bruce yeah. wanted me to say it was nominated. It's, it's, it's that good a goal. We managed <laughs> to find it on YouTube. You want to see it, eh? So, so here it is against Kaiser Chiefs. The 2010 FIFA World Cup venue, FNP Stadium, is the venue for this APSA Premiership clash between Kaiser Chiefs and Vasco da Gama live from the FNP Stadium in Soweto. There he goes. It's Amogam, Amogam! What a fine call by the man who once played at Pushbox, Jonathan Amokam, Vasco, have taken the lead. It's a fine goal by a fine player. Okay, we'll stop it there. Fine goal by a fine player. I mean, that, that, that was an awesome moment. I'd, I'd only just met you, and, uh, and a few weeks later, I'm sitting there watching TV, watching Johnny Armagon score a goal like that and actually you picked up the ball much further back I think went past about four of them quicker than Jamie Vardy uh, to stick the ball in the back of the net Um, so many highs but you talked about turning 
uh, pro. It was actually your first PSL contract, wasn't it, at 23 at Bush Bucks? And your career takes sort of a meteoric rise very, very quickly, as you've just described. And yet your life was already starting to spiral out of control um, off the field. What happened to you over the next few years? I think one of the main factors here, I was, I was playing football to seek people's approval. And at that stage, I couldn't explain it, but um, I started drinking more. I started partying more. I started being in relationships for affirmation. And because of that lifestyle, it had practical consequences on the way I played. So in the next four years, my career, because of the lifestyle I had off the field, next four years, um, yeah, my career just plummeted to an all-time low. Well, so by the time you get to, what, 26, 27, 27. Um, your career has is, is, is pretty much uh, imploded and your life off the field is, is in a mess. It's interesting that you, you talked about seeking approval and we've talked about this a lot but Henri Nguyen talks about how we can get our identity from one of three places one is from getting it by what we do our performance the other one is from getting our identity by what other people say about us and of course when you're in sport everybody's got to say something to say about you haven't they whether it's the coach whether it's your teammates supporters the media and of course the third way is is getting our identity by what we own what we have for you, it was clearly the second one, you know, getting people's approval, what people said about you, you mattered. And, uh, and because you were seeking approval in, in, in that way, football could never provide you with what you needed. Track that story a little bit more for us so we get a better understanding of what was making Johnny tick when he was 23, 24. So I only discovered this about a few years ago, probably about two or three years ago, but it didn't start at 23. I think it started at the age of 14. My brother was a genius, so he used to get straight A's. What did you get? Straight C's. Okay, but straight C's. So he used to get a lot of the affirmation, he used to get a lot of the attention, he used to get a lot of what I wanted. And I think, um, not I think, I know now, a root of jealousy sprang up within me and I desired what he was getting. And then I discovered in that period that, hey, I've got a gift, I can play football. And because I could play football, I saw the reaction on people's faces when they looked at me when I played. Their face changed when I said I played for a professional team. When I did something amazing, there was this twinkle in their eye, and I saw this twinkle in their eye, and I craved that twinkle, and I craved that affirmation, and I craved their words. I craved the pat on the back. I wanted it so much that, um, yeah, that's what I started going for. And instead of playing for the purity of the game, I ended up playing for that, for people's affirmation. And uh, uh, when you have a bad game, when you have a bad training session, you don't get the approval. So what was, what was your reaction when things didn't go well? So it was like an emotional roller coaster. I didn't have the emotional IQ to know at that stage, but one day you're up, you're on top, and the next day, like in life, but it just happens quick. I think you said football is just a magnifying glass of life. It happens like really quick. The one day you can be the star, and the next, like they say, one day you can be a hero, and the following day you can be a zero, literally like that. And my emotions used to go like that, up and down. And I didn't know what was happening, and I didn't know how to cope with it. And the easiest way to cope was, with it was to start partying more, to start drinking, and to, st and to be in relationships, because one of two things happened there. I found that I was getting affirmation from people outside of football. I was getting 
acceptance from people outside of football, and that was numbing what was going on inside. I didn't, I couldn't deal with it, but it was numbing it somehow. So your life's taken this spiral downwards. Your your career's completely imploded as yep. as a consequence. Uh, I remember you telling me that you'd be playing games um, in the national first division, and you could hear people shouting uh, about the fat boy. And it's hard to believe looking at him now, but he was the fat boy by all accounts. And, um, and certainly the speed you, you showed there had, had, had pretty much gone from, from your game. It looked like things were, were all over. And yet here you are eight years later. Um, you've had another eight or nine years in the game. Not only that, but as we've already heard, you're married, beautiful wife, beautiful daughter. There they are, big R. Aww. The, the big question is what, what changed? So I'm going to try and explain the transaction that took place. But you were right. I was at the bottom, rock bottom. The owner of our club said they're not signing me again. I had a business that was failing. I believe I was depressed at that time, so stressed out. But I knew there was hope. I knew there was help. So what happened in that time was it was like a three-day battle that I knew God could help me and I knew I needed help, but I wasn't willing to give up my identity because I thought, if I am going to come to God, I'm going to have to give up so much here. And I wasn't sure if I was willing to do it. So a three-day battle ensued. And at the end of the three days, I just, I was tired. And I said, God, I went to my room, God, come into my life, forgive me. And literally, I felt hands reaching down and reach and taking out something. So I tried giving up drinking. I tried giving up smoking. I did recreational drugs. But at that point in my room, at that moment, all those cravings disappeared in an instant. So... Because of that, my lifestyle changed. Uh, the practical consequences of that now was that I was healthier, I was fitter. Not fatter. Not fatter. <laughs> I was still fat, but I'd lost weight. <laughs> and yeah, my game improved, and um, for God's bless me, another eight years in the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have to say, every time I hear you tell that story, sort of tingles go down my spine. You know, just God taking those addictions and those desires. Uh, Away isn't isn't always everybody's story when they're dealing with 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 addiction, um, but I'd like us to to, to move on. Um, you've come to Christ, um, and you're still a footballer. How did that impact the way you started to view your sport? Did you change the way you started to view your sport as a consequence of becoming a Christ follower? Before I answer that, I think, yes, God did um, deliver me from those addictions, but I think one of the addictions was also affirmation. So I think I was addicted to that. Not a lot of people think that can be addiction, but I was. But anyway, when I came to Christ, I thought I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I didn't know how to be a Christian, so I thought I had two choices. I would become a pastor. or dress like one. <laughs> or uh, work with CCFM. So... <laughs> amazing isn't it you come to christ and your your, your options are really limited aren't they eh? yeah, they are. <laughs> i had no idea i had no idea god was interested in sport and i had no idea that it was interested in me playing sport i thought god is there sport is here ccfm is waiting for me <laughs> and yeah i was i just i i didn't know what to do at that point well, uh, there's still a career waiting at CCFM, I'm sure. But um, yeah, so, what, so, so at what point did you begin to realize God was actually interested in your sport, that it was more than just a job that paid the bills? So one fateful day, we were in a, a sports facilitated course and I met you. 
And like a hero in a jean, you <laughs> came to rescue me. Okay, didn't come rescue me actually, but what happened was we started a journey. So me and Bruce started a journey. And because of his love for sport, I discovered that God is interested in, he loves me, so, he's in, so he loves what I do. And on that, I think one of the phrases that I remember the most was we we doing Bible studies and I found out one of the phrases that we used in our games was we're playing for an audience of one. And in, it was in that time that I discovered that God loves sport. One of the things that you did for me, though, was you did something so countercultural where in sport you just, you're basically like bubblegum. If you don't taste good anymore, they spit you out. And what you did, you showed me unconditional love. And you showed me unconditional acceptance. You didn't want anything from me. You didn't want tickets. You didn't want a T-shirt. Thanks for the tickets, though. Yeah. Pleasure. So what you did after I had a bad game, you'd put your arm around me and you just, I still remember that wink you used to give me when, if I had like a bad game. And that for me was the representation of how God, not saying you God, but that's the representation of how God looked at me. And because of the love, the unconditional love, the unconditional acceptance that you showed me, I fell more in love with him and I started getting a new perspective of how God saw me. I didn't see myself anymore as this unworthy because we see the highlights package and we see everybody jumping up and driving these i don't drive an expensive car but you see all those things but a lot of guys but me you i was really insecure and i started seeing myself differently i started seeing myself as somebody that has worth somebody that's good somebody that um, god wants and that changed started changing the way i viewed myself which changed the way i viewed sport and just opened up a different world for me you know, that's worth a round of applause, isn't it? Yeah, just awesome. It's, you know, I, I've been in the game almost as long as you in the UK and now in South Africa, and, and, and I would say issues around identity and in, insecurity, um, you know, are, are really prevalent. And actually, the higher the level you go with sports people, the more insecurity there is. The, the, the greater the talent and the greater the opportunity, the more insecurity there is. And I've worked in prisons and, and yet I found greater insecurity and more dysfunction in professional sport at high performance level than I have sometimes in a prison cell. Um, and I think your story reflects something of that. But there'll be a question a few people are be asking just before we get to the end. And that is you, your football careers come to an end. And many people retire when they're 60 or 65. They're, here you are retiring at 35. Um, what are your hopes for the future? So I've embarked on a new career in coaching. And what I'm hoping to do now is I started off badly in that first career. But what I'm hoping to do now is for God to shape me and mold me into the coach that he knows I can be so I can have the greatest impact on the young people that I do coach. I mean, that's an awesome dream um, to have. And I'm sure those who've heard your story here tonight, I'd be praying that God will use your story, use what he's done in your life to be able to positively impact lots of young people through, through sport um, in the years ahead and hopefully pay the bills as well, yeah, which is also really important. Um, but I hope as you've listened to Johnny's story this evening, one of the things that you have picked up is the fact that Sports people are ordinary people, but they're ordinary people with extraordinary talent. 
You know, Johnny faces the same trials and the same temptations and lives through sometimes the same tragedies as the rest of us. The only difference is you live through those under a microscope or even a magnifying glass, Mm. and it's a bubble. And you're trying to perform under the public spotlight, in the public gaze all the time, often when you're not yet emotionally prepared as a young person for what you're confronting. And here's the tragic reality, that there are across the world thousands of Johnnies at the age of 23, 24, playing professional sports. Sports people are more likely to experience divorce than the rest of the population. They're more likely to experience dependency on drugs, alcohol, and gambling. They're more likely to end up in debt. 70% of South African soccer players end up in poverty within five years of retirement and depression. The International Professional Footballers Union did research that was published at the beginning of this year, and this is staggering. 37% of professional footballers from across the world who were surveyed have experienced clinical depression during their careers. This is a tragedy, and God loves the sports community. And those people have been given a gift, and yet for many of them it's become a curse. And Johnny nearly became one of those statistics. And we have a dream at Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. It's that one day every sports community here in South Africa will have an accredited and trained sports chaplain. We have a dream that one day we'll hear more more stories like Johnny. And not just the powerful story of redemption, but a story of sports people discovering God's purpose for their sport and discovering that their true identity and worth isn't found in their performance or in what people say about them or in what they have and the cars they drive or the people they're seen with. It's found in Jesus Christ. And, And our hope and prayer is that you'll join us, join hands with us, but also join your hands in praying that that dream will become a reality here in South Africa and across the world. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you, Johnny, for sharing. Let's give him a round of applause. The Call-Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. The Power of His Dream brings you here, LIA Productions.